0: Welcome to Intersections, the RIT podcast. Artificial intelligence and deep learning have many research applications. Today, Ray Petuccia, assistant professor of computer engineering in RIT's College of Engineering, talks with computing doctoral student Robert Jimerson from the College of Computing and Information Sciences about a National Science Foundation project that their team is pursuing. It uses deep learning systems to develop a speech recognition system to help preserve the Native American Seneca language. Can you please go ahead and describe the Seneca Language Preservation Project?
1: Yes. So from a very high level, what we're trying to do is to create an ASR system, which means automatic speech recognizer, using deep learning methods to kind of speed up the transcription process of documented language. One of the challenges, as you know, that we face is that to use ASR for deep learning, we need a lot of data. Um, But what do we do when we don't have a lot of data? Like how do we make it work for... Uh, deep learning. So that's kind of what we're going through now. Can you talk about some of the
0: challenges you had collecting the data and some of the methods you used to do the data collection?
1: Yeah, so the data collection has been pretty fun. Since we started this uh, project, there wasn't a Seneca data set readily available. So we're creating it as we go along. So what my process is, essentially, I go to someone's house and I take my audio recorder, and then just put it on the table, and then the conversation just kind of goes where it goes. So you get a lot of different topics like the weather, how it was when they were growing up, uh, how their day is. So it's really free-flowing conversation. And then what I do with that is I take it and then I uh, transcribe it and then get it into a format that we can load into our uh, deep learning algorithms. So Robbie, so of all the
0: AI re- research that you could have done for your PhD why is this particular topic so
1: interesting to you? Um, Yeah, so it's really interesting because obviously the language, Seneca is the language of the tribe where I'm from. Being born and raised and still live on the reservation, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to um, grow up in the culture. So this is a very personal project for me. And, you know, it's really the, the motivation and really provides me the drive to really grind through the the rigors of the phd you know the most like, maybe tedious part you could say of the research is um is transcribing but to me it's also the most one of the most fun
0: now is it true i heard that uh, the written language of seneca there was no written language until maybe 20 years ago
1: yeah it's something like that 20 years ago i think probably, maybe even yeah it's probably right on there but yeah so it's always been um an oral language all the traditions all the stories you know all that stuff protocol everything's been passed down Uh, generation by generation just uh, orally and yeah up until 20 years ago they decided that they would create an alphabet but it's essentially it's an English alphabet with a few different characters but yeah so it's only been around like 20 years and even so there's some elders that some people that write it that kind of have their own orthography or they're like yeah I'm going to use Um, I'm just going to use this symbol all the time for this sound. So yeah, a lot of what goes on is a lot of the other data that I collect that's been transcribed or written Seneca that was produced by other people. Sometimes I have to kind of sanitize the data before we can get it into our uh, models.
0: And the title of the project is Language Preservation, but it's just as much as Culture Preservation because you're preserving the culture, say forever. Do you feel any big weight on your shoulders or responsibility to do a good job doing that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely want to do it in the right way. But yeah, there's a lot of help. The language is really kind of an insight into the culture. A lot of the culture obviously comes from the language. You know, really the way, how different Seneca is from English, it really shows kind of, I would say, a different way of thinking through the language. A lot of the people from the nation that I come from, they really uh, view the language as kind of a, you know, a sacred thing. Um, So that's really in what high regard that they hold the language. So yeah, I definitely don't want to, you know, mishandle it or do anything that'll make anybody mad. That was the last thing I wanted to do when I started. Compared to when you started the project and compared to now, is there a, a different attitude?
0: Are the people, maybe initially there was some resistance and now they appreciate a little bit more what you're doing or
1: it's been about the same? Can you give us some insight in how it's been received? Yeah, when I started it, there was definitely some caution to it. A lot of people didn't understand what I was doing. And I think the more that they've seen, you know, what I've done and kind of how the work we've done is kind of given back to, you know, some of the revitalization efforts that are going on, I think people have developed a better understanding for it. But there's there's been a little bit of education. But yeah, I mean, more people, definitely the further along we get in it, the more people are welcome to it. And even the more help that, you know, they've been willing to give me. There's some speakers that, you know, were kind of reluctant to help. Um, in the beginning. But yeah, now they're just, uh, they've been a lot of help since. Can you give us some insight into the language and the culture itself? Maybe why projects like this are important and maybe how it's different from the English culture as we know it. From English to Seneca, they're just really two, you know, just wholly different languages. Obviously, English was developed, you know, on one continent and Seneca was developed on this one. So they're really different. Um, and I really think that plays into a different way of thinking and then just how different the cultures are. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important to preserve and ultimately revitalize the language because I think that's a really, that gives insight into a person's culture, kind of how they think, why they think that. And I just think that's important because I think the more we understand each other's culture, um, the more compassionate, the sympathetic and understanding we will be to each other.
0: Can you give us an update on some of the results you've had to date and, and what you hope to accomplish throughout your PhD?
1: Yeah. So the the first thing I want to mention is, uh, as you know, we recently hit the big milestone of getting 10 hours of uh, training data. So my training set is 10 hours of transcribed uh, Seneca audio data. And again, that's just me talking with other people in Seneca. My friend's talking to other people in Seneca and then it's transcribing that. And then our language model, uh, the tech side of things is all the transcription of those 10 hours, plus I think five other Seneca stories I was able to get Um, that other people had written or were transcribed, Um, and then our test data is, you know, two hours of that, and then we're developing, as you know, the development set now, but yeah, so recently, I think using a non-deep learning method, we think we recently got 53 or 54 percent word error rate, so half of the words are right, and half of them obviously aren't correct, but I mean, I feel like that's a good spot considering the amount of data we have. How long, say if we have a, a, we converse for Five
0: minutes. How long will that take to transcribe that five minutes?
1: Probably, I think I'm around six minutes to transcribe one minute of Seneca. So one of the problems, one of the challenges I say with labeling audio data is how much we might make mistakes in in talking. So there's a lot of ums uh, or even, you know, if you start a word and you're like run. So all that stuff has to be, you know, labeled. And so that really slows things down, as well as sometimes we just misspeak. You know, so for the language model side, we would write what I should have said, but then on the transcribed data, like I have to figure out how to spell my misspoken, how I misspoke. Hmm. So I mean, that stuff really slows it down. Wow. Yeah. So now, Seneca is a polymorphic language.
0: Could you just explain what that is and how that, is that different? How is that different from English?
1: Yeah. So. Within a, a simple Seneca verb, there's three things encoded. So there's the when, the who, and the what. So for one simple Seneca verb, it can be spoken about 4,000 different ways. So if we looked at the Seneca, you could say, like, oh, got kanye, I played. Sat, and eh, sat, kanye, you will play. What, kanye, he played yesterday. Ah, got kanye, he should play. Dot, he didn't play. So, I mean, there's a lot of Variation within one word itself because you have sometimes you have three moving parts within one verb. Ideally, we would want to expose our ASR system to every form of those words, but we can't. So, the fact that the language is complex is further compounded by the challenge that we don't have a lot of data. So, the ASR system can't recognize a word it's never seen before, and then with a great variation within a Seneca word, you know, it makes compounds a challenge. Can you tell us how you think? Uh, This project will help develop AI and deep learning abilities.
0: So first of all, I'd like to, I'd like to recognize, firstly Emily Protomo, she's the PI in this project. She's from Boston College, and NSF is funding this effort, and we so appreciate to them. They, they love these resource-constrained languages, preserving the culture and our history. By doing this particular project, we're applying deep learning concepts which really have transformed the world. So, for example, uh, both from computer vision, both from speech recognition, deep learning models are really good at taking many, many instances, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of samples, and building these black box models, essentially, which transform from input data into some meaning. So for a computer vision, it would be taking some unforeseen image and saying, oh, that's a cat or a dog or a car, or more specifically, that's a Toyota Camry. Uh, For speech, it means taking some utterance and turning it into the corresponding words, physical words that were spoken. Now, we've gotten really good at that in the past couple of years, but what we're not really good at is overcoming the need. These deep learning models, they have so many weights they need to solve for that they need a real lot of data to accomplish that. If we were training a, a speech recognition for English, we would have tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of hours of data recorded. In something like this language, we only have... You mentioned 10 hours of data. So how are we going to achieve uh, similar capabilities in speech recognition using these deep models when we only have such small amounts of data?
1: Where do you see the contribution of our work into deep learning for under-resourced languages? Well, so we're using American Indian as a good example. So there's
0: very small amounts of data. It's such a huge effort for folks like yourselves to do the transcription. So we have so little, so somehow we want equivalent performance as to something where we have lots of data, like English or Mandarin. So we're really breaking new ground Uh, We're doing techniques which we call data augmentation, taking finite number of instances of spoken language and turning that into many instances, you know, automatically. How do we do that? Well, for speech, you can change the speed, you can change the pitch. Uh, We're using other techniques we call generative adversarial networks, where we're actually taking an utterance spoken by speaker A, and we're transcribing it as if it sounded like it came from speaker B. And so uh, by doing this, we could turn one utterance into an infinite number of utterance. And for each one of those, since you went to the trouble of transcribing it, we can reuse that transcription over and over
1: and over again. How do you see kind of these things that we're trying? How do you see it working for other machine learning disciplines within deep learning? Another
0: uh, project that we have, an applied project, is we have something, we have a wheelchair here, and this wheelchair. Uh, is an autonomous wheelchair. And typically you may think of, well okay, so they have wheelchairs, they have joysticks. It's great. So the, now they can use a joystick to navigate up and down the halls. But what if they didn't have the ability to navigate up and down the halls? What if for example they had a loss of limb or they had a stroke or they had Parkinson's and so they can't use their hands to use that joystick. So instead they can speak to the wheelchair. And so now in this particular case, well now maybe we have some, you know, like my parents older and frail, you know, they don't speak very clearly. So we don't have a lot of training data, but they want to tell the wheelchair to go forward to stop or take me back to my room or take me out to the deck. And now we're going to use the same methods that we're using for Seneca to train just on on small amounts of training to make it work perfectly for them.
1: So I guess in the future, so you mentioned the kind of the data augmentation that we're trying to, um, you know, kind of create data, trying to create synthetic data to increase our training data set size. So what do you kind of see you know, past that. What interesting things do you think we can try after that? So right now, it's still the
0: deep learning models. The way they work really well is what we say is supervised data. They need, they're very data hungry. They need lots of samples. And we're slowly going, you know, towards what we want to say is unsupervised, where you can just give it, where you don't have to go through the trouble. You don't need you and your friends to transcribe the data and spend you know, six minutes for every one minute of audio, we want the computer to figure out how to do that on itself. And so this concept of getting away from having humans annotate every little bit uh, to teach the computer, we need to get away from that. And once we get away from that, we'll be able to, you know, generate new frontiers in AI. I'm not saying we're going to get to general AI by doing that, but the learning will happen a lot more faster uh, in new directions we could barely fathom. Thanks for listening to Intersections, the RIT podcast, a production of RIT Marketing and Communications. To learn more about our university, go to www.rit.edu. And to hear more podcasts, find us on iTunes or tune in or visit us at www.soundcloud.com slash RIT Tigers.